Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is a Lip Media Podcast. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. We pay our respects to their elders past and present, and the Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening today. Welcome to The Gays Are Revolting, a definitive weekly news source for contemporary gays. We put the G in LGBTQIA+, and we're here to help you be the best G you can be. You can follow us on Instagram at Gays Revolting Pod, or join our Facebook group at The Gays Are Revolting. And if you'd like to support the podcast and listen to our after shows, head over to patreon.com slash gaysrevoltingpod for a heap of extra content. Hello, Tom. Hello, Luke. <laughs> How are you? It's another week. Was it's I here last week? week? You were here last week, at least in body. I don't know about yeah. mind, but yeah. Well, we're back again this week. Carl's away in Italy, but this week you've got me, the small child impersonator of the year, Luke. <laughs> and uh, myself, the last drag queen standing at the 2019 Drag Awards, Thomas Jaspers. We have two very special guests here joining us to fill the gap. Carl and Mikey have left, so I'm going to throw it over to you guys to introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Rebecca Shaw, and I'm most well known from Twitter, which is the most embarrassing thing I can think of. <laughs> Hi, I'm Will Kostakis, and I'm the most successful guy that Kyle has ghosted on Grinder. Oh! oh <laughs> really? That's amazing. <laughs> you know, forget the interview. <laughs> yeah, let's just talk about this. Now, yeah. <laughs> Start from the beginning. Amazing. Oh, I was just, you know, no one's their best self in their early no. 20s on Grinder. Absolutely not. I was that. Yeah. Head touring from Sydney so I can't imagine I presented myself as we chatted a bit and then it sort of added each other on Instagram and then Man I started person. listening to the podcast and I'm like and then oh, I saw I a photo I'm like I know that guy uh. oh. <laughs> it's all making sense because he left for Italy this very week <laughs> look it's... I think I've figured it out look. you've been ghosted again but in real life <laughs> look it's just, we're gonna keep missing each other it'll be the running gag it's like yeah it's like you know with a sitcom where the same actor plays two people and yeah. they just it'll just be that So today we are joined by two brilliant queer Australian writers. First up is Rebecca Shaw, aka Brockle Snitch on Twitter, who's written for Junkie, The Guardian, and TV's Hard Quiz, Tonightly with Tom Ballard, which I'm heartbroken that that mm, show got cancelled. Mm. And of course, the wonderful Get Kraken. We're also joined by Will Kostakis, an award-winning author for young adults. Both are in town for the Melbourne Writers Festival. Beck and Will, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks no for that was a really long intro. Sorry. Was. We're very impressive. It's because yeah, you achieved so much. So yeah, much. Such a young and beautiful age. Yeah. Uh, How's the festival going? Great, Will. Yeah, it's going. You've done really a lot well. of events. I've seen you do I'm, them. My name has been mispronounced a lot. Sorry, <laughs> but, I just <laughs> that look, you stuff, look, but it's not as bad. I always try to like uh, reassure people that it's not the worst. They yeah. mispronounced my name. The worst one was at a school. Sixteen hundred boys. The principal standing in the assembly goes, and now please welcome Will Coxsuckers. <laughs> oh, and this was before I'd come out, and by then I'd lost the audience. Yeah. They were losing their shit <laughs> laughing. I was losing it laughing. It was a it was a wonderful experience. Nice. Well, it'd be a good. 
nickname too. Yeah, mm. no. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. Let's redo the intro. <laughs> <laughs> I just, this up. <laughs> just, just me dragging myself yeah. for an hour and a half. Now, Beck, I want to start with your podcast, Bring a Plate, which you host with Peter Taggart. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've only got 32 episodes, which have been done over <laughs> six years, which is an impressive uh, <laughs> slow release. But it still managed to capture the heart of quite a few listeners across Australia and mm. around the world. Now, you started recording episodes again this year. Are we going to get any more? Why are you, you dragging us out? More. Why are you teasing Look- us? You just have to keep people waiting and yeah. then they their standard is lower because they're excited to see you. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. So um, we're just churning it. We're just like saturating yeah, the market doing yeah, exactly. everything. Well, it sounds like my dating career. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> like given very little over a long period of time. Yes. Um, but we'll be doing more. Peter's mum has had surgery recently. So right. there's been a little bit of a break this year mm-hmm. because she's selfish. Mm. But um, we'll be back on it soon, I reckon. Great. Mm. Do you love making podcasts? I do love making podcasts. Thank you for asking. (laughs) (laughs) Do you love making podcasts? (laughs) I didn't realize that's what I did until about 20 seconds ago. (laughs) It's sort of the only performing that I like because it's, I have a crippling public speaking Mm -hmm. anxiety and this is sort of in a dark room Mm. with handsome men this time, but usually Peter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's fun because you get to tell stories, but you also get the power of editing. That's what I love about podcasting is like you can nail something and then you can fine tune it and all of those sort of anxiety anxieties mm-hmm. are sort of out the window because you have that final edit what yeah, Dan yeah. does in our case <laughs> but, um, um, can you tell us a bit about the concept of bring a plate yeah so it started originally it was sort of bring a plate and that we would each bring it he would bring like a queer issue and I would bring a feminist issue mm-hmm. and we'd discuss it um, but then we realized that that dates podcast really quickly yeah right. so this time we've relaunched and it's just like a random topic from mm. a list like we did the net with Sandra Bullock and then mm. Sydney Olympics. That's I great quite enjoyed film. the Sydney Olympics mm. episode. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Well, you've had a really successful writing career. What surprises me is um, your first novel mm-hmm. you sent to publishers when you were 13 years old. Yeah. At that age, I was just figuring out how to masturbate. <laughs> so, <laughs> very early achiever. I was typing with one hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, my publisher's going to listen to this and be like, what have you done? <laughs> and got a book deal um, in your final year in high school. Um, That's amazing. So, it seems like writing something that just naturally came to you or something that you knew you wanted to do um why do you think the melbourne writers festival is so important for queer voices well it offers us a platform obviously we get to meet our audiences but also we get to meet people who don't always get to meet queer people in their everyday life like for instance i've been on the schools program and when i visit a catholic school i have to sign a waiver that says everything i say and do will be in keeping with the teachings of the catholic church and you know that 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 just means saying my wife like over and over again yeah pretty much um and so today it was like i was giving a talk and I could, because I'm in a separate venue, I can mm. be like, and as a gay Greek Australian, and mm. you know, you get some gas from the audience and you get anyone else who has Google. Um, yeah. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, or can see how wildly I flail my arms when I'm speaking. They're mm-hmm. like, yep, that's a gay. So it exposes people who, exposes is probably the wrong word, but we'll go with it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, teenagers who may not have so met an out gay writer and I'm sure they have you know gay teachers at school but they sort of can't sort of speak up Mm. and speak out so it sort of lets them know whether they uh, identify as straight or whether they're curious or whether they firmly understand who they are and who they love it gives them an example and it gives them a role model that isn't just you know someone they have to discover who probably lives overseas a safe space I think it's also good for especially writers festivals now are like programmed with like a really diverse array of queer writers so Mm -hmm. it's people you wouldn't necessarily come across if you're just living your life 
you can go and see like Nayuka Gori or whoever and it exposes people to a much more diverse array of yeah. people that yeah. are I guess writing. it's like when you go to a music festival and you're like this person's just on that stage I'll go check it out mm. yeah. but with yeah. writers and not as much like, MDMA I was gonna <laughs> ask does writers, still a little bit. does writers festival go off <laughs> look do people yeah. go off at I ones? have stories <laughs> about green rooms not so much like the big festivals but like the smaller like schools festivals authors get messy and there's stuff like the newcastle writers festival which yeah. is all like people under 35 that all go to newcastle and hang out like obviously <laughs> there's things that go down <laughs> i can't speak to that um, let's yeah. name some names <laughs> and will your writing uh, draws on your experiences of growing up as a gay greek man given you write mostly in the youth space do you find uh, you need to carefully consider how you write queer characters for teenagers given it can be contentious on one hand and immensely powerful representation on the other well, the thing about writing for young Australians is that publishers already take a lot of care with how we package and how we present certain things. Mm-hmm. Like there was that huge controversy with 13 Reasons Why on Netflix and the yeah, fact that they yeah. explored the issue of suicide without sort of doing their due diligence and making sure that they, you know, consulted experts and things like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Australia, in the Australian sort of written YA industry, we are very, very careful about making sure it gets to sensitivity readers, making sure it gets to, you know, mental health professionals, making sure that we tick all of those boxes, you know, because the safest place for teenagers to experiment with experiences is through books. And, you know, you don't just want to be a shining example for them. You want to make sure that they can explore different experiences and live through characters' mistakes on the page. And so my first book, I was still sort of figuring out who I was. I knew I was gay, but I was scared too. So you can tell that book is written like with a wall between myself and the reader. And it totally flopped. Like it sold 10 copies, including the seven I bought myself. But, you know, <laughs> don't laugh so hard. It was my dream. It was my dream. No, and so you read it and it's the campus book ever. I thought I was like, oh, I'm so straight. And it like every female character reads like a drag queen after four <laughs> drinks. And it's, you could tell I was watching lots of Sex in the City. And yeah. Liked Samantha. Everyone's like, no, a Samantha. No. <laughs> <laughs> it, was it was like, it's the strangest book, but it's really, it's fun in that way because it's just like, this is obscene. But then after that flopped, I was like, right, I get to write one more book. And so I wrote a book thinking that it was going to be my last one because the first one flopped. And it was yeah. like, I'm going to reflect on my life growing up in a small but potent Greek family. But I also wanted to put a gay character in there. I was kind of scared. So I'm like, okay, he'll be a side character and he'll sort of deal with his sexuality in a really safe way. But the way that I did it was I found all the representations of heterosex in award-winning teen novels. And yep. I said, okay, I can do exactly that. And I remember going into the publisher like, oh, this is a bit risky. Like he's having sex with a man. I'm like, well, in this book, Book that won the Children's Book Council Book of the Year mm. Award. Mm. This guy has sex with a woman and then tosses a, co- a used condom into the bushes. There was a lot of things we did. Like it was about five years ago, so they forced me to age the gay character up to eighteen. Right before he was sixteen, and they're like, "Oh no, you can't be sixteen yeah. having anonymous sex." I'm like, "Oh, honey." And the reason why I wanted to write that was I was speaking at one of the really expensive, prestigious Sydney high schools. I was giving a talk to a year eight class and it's all going well. And I hear the grinder alert. And I'm like, oh shit, I've left grinder on at a school. Oh, no. And I'm like, no, wait, I don't have it on. And I uninstalled it off my phone. Yeah. And I look around the room looking and there were no male teachers. This was before everyone knew what the grinder alert yeah. sound was. And I look over and there's a kid in the second row, none of his friends know what he's doing, but he's on Grinder in the second row. Yeah. 
And I sat there and I'm there passing as heterosexual again. Don't know how, but it happened. <laughs> um, and I was sitting there like, I'm here giving this talk and I should really be talking to that kid. Yeah. And I'm not. And I'm doing him a massive disservice. Mm. And so I knew I needed to explore what your first experiences are like when they are that sort of casual throwaway experience, which, you know, we accept is, you know, part of our culture and, it, you know, whether it suits you or not. I wanted to write about what it was like to grow up like that. And having that experience in my back pocket meant my publisher was like, we support you. There were a Amazing. couple of things they did. They were like, oh no, have him do it in his house and not in a hotel room just so it feels safer for him. And so yeah. with things like that, they were really supportive. And that character was really, really supported by the industry, which was really wonderful. I was like, okay, he ended up being a lot of people's favorite character and I didn't know why. And I remember I was speaking at a school and before I was speaking, the teacher came up to me, pulled me aside and said, these year 10 girls have studied your book, but can you please not mention the gay character? Holy shit. Oof. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure year 10 girls know what gay is. But mm. I'm like, okay, so I'm walking in and I've got that sort of, okay, I'm a closeted gay man about to give a talk where... I'm going to ignore the main secondary character in the book. And it was sort of like erasing myself in real time. Mm, totally. And I'm like talking and talking. I get through the talk and then I'm like, who's your favorite character? Expecting the typical love of the Greek grandmother. She pronounces words wrong. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. You know, that thing that Aussies love. <laughs> and it's like They love it with Asian yeah. people too. <laughs> no, but the Greeks, family. you get the shits instead of sheets. <laughs> yeah. They go gaga for that. But anyway, <laughs> I was like, who's your favorite character? This girl put up her hand. I'm like, yeah. She's like, oh, I like the gay character. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm instantly thinking I'm never getting invited back to this school again the yeah. teacher like sinks into their seat and I'm like oh god and I'm like okay I've got to change the topic okay what's your favorite scene and that girl was the only one to put up oh, her no. hand and I'm like no this scene. is it I'm done <laughs> literally she's like oh. I love the scene where he loses his virginity to another guy <laughs> and by this point I'm like okay that's it I'm she, gonna lean into this she's a she rules star, and but, all the uh, other girls were nodding and I'm like wait but why I'm assuming she's a heterosexual girl you know year 10 so she's 14, 15, 16 I'm like why did this speak to you she's like oh it helped me understand my friend Sam a little bit better Oh. And that's the really interesting thing. We talk about safe schools and we talk about, quote unquote, exposing children to homosexuals and the homosexual agenda. Mm. But they don't realize that in school, when we explore identity, which is such a huge issue at schools, it's all about teaching people about the people they're going to meet in life. And it's mm. about getting to know people who are different. They're the others, the refugees, the multicultural people, the people who love differently. Yeah. It's all a part of that. And it's all about empathy and understanding different people. Mm. And I think and the, the crazy thing is, is that teenagers nowadays are going to find that stuff anyway. Mm. Yeah. You know, they're trying so hard to kind of filter it out of yeah. the school system. But you talk to any teenagers now and they're like, yeah, my friend's trans and I, mm. I have like some gay friends. And, and, and you're like, oh, these kids actually know more about what's going on in the world right now than our parents do, for they example. They are so supportive, especially in the past five or six years. Like when I first started touring schools, there were no gay kids. When I graduated in 2006, there was one gay kid at school that he had a girlfriend. Mm. And that was yeah. like, you just accepted it, right? Um, whereas now I visit schools, kids in year seven and year eight are gay and they're excited about it. They've mm. got a lot less baggage about it, whether it's what they're watching on YouTube or on TV or what they're reading or whether it's just sort of society has changed around them where they don't have a lot of that angst that we had to learn to then yeah. discard. They just never got it. Mm. It freaks me out to extent. I don't know if you've met those kids before, Beck, but mm -hmm. the young, the next generation of queer youth. Imagine it. White gays without misgivings. I know. Just. They, <laughs> they have all of our negative baggage and all of our self-loathing and internalized homophobia. They don't have it. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. just they, like puts them ahead of the game. Like, it's just like they get to 
progressed normally, mm. whereas I was stunted because I like spent 21 years pretending Same. and then I started my real life. Mm. And so it's just like amazing to see. They just like get to live now. Mm. Yeah. And a lot of that has, it does come down to things like your books. Oh, it was all just my book. Yeah, it's just, like, your book. I was, just your book. I was the only one. I am like, give me yeah. a giant cross and I will walk it around. I will do laps. No, I but am. it is, is important. I remember secretly reading, um, what was that? Two Weeks with the Queen by yes. Morris Lights when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. It's secretly in the library because I was too scared to check it out because people mm-hmm. would see that yeah. I had a book about, you know, this yeah. guy. And that the goes alarm and would says, go off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my parents would get a letter and you know, yeah. the Catholic Church would come crashing down. But I couldn't believe that I was actually reading these words and like mm-hmm. there was actual gay characters in a book yeah. that was written for me. Um, so, yeah, it is, I think, quite instrumental. Thank you, Well, the gay agenda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if anyone could explain Animorphs to me, though. I never got into that... Animorphs. <laughs> is that still, is that still going? Get... I don't know. No, I've seen a nice, right. funny tweet where it's like a white gay dude morphing into a bottle of poppers. <laughs> 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 that was good. Natural I think on that note about like speaking at schools, yeah. you both have quite large platforms as writers. I think a lot of the creative queer people we've spoken to on this show have talked about their own gay agendas and how they've got that through Mm -hmm. certain filters. What do you think is some of the important issues that we should be focusing on for, this terrifies me to say, 2020? I mean, first of all, with like the gay agenda thing, I think it's, especially in comedy still, and especially in TV comedy, I think just being there is the gay agenda Mm -hmm. it's like it's still very much dominated by like obviously there's more and more diversity coming in but this power structure is still you know it's white and straight and men Mm. a lot of my job i feel like is being in the room to like stop stuff happening rather than making it happen yeah (laughs) which is still (laughs) we feel i feel like we should be past that but I recently, over the last few years, have been, you know, I think it's just like trans and non-binary kids and like that's the obvious answer, but that's who is being targeted now specifically. I just am filled with a rage. Like once you love someone who's trans or non-binary and then you see the being attacked, I just get filled with such a furious Mm. rage that it's hard to control. So we'll see what happens in 2020. <laughs> Bring it on. It's hard to say. Yeah, I would say you can definitely see people moving their chess pieces and preparing and even starting that sort of fight. And it's just such a waste of oxygen. Like, how about instead of tearing people down, our governments learn to actually govern? Like, we should just have a ban on you cannot have an enemy for the next two or three months. Yeah. Try to fix a problem in society and actually... And then come back to us. Yeah. And they won't be able to govern because it's always, there's always somebody. There's a refugee or a person of color who speaks mm. too loudly. And I'm sitting right here. <laughs> <laughs> I was staring at you, so I'm glad, <laughs> glad you got the hint. <laughs> no, look, we've just got to really hit it home that it is so much easier to demonize someone it is so much easier to bully someone who is being bullied than it is to be kind yeah absolutely. and we need to just make sure that we as a community don't fall into that trap don't sit there and go oh we got marriage it's done now because it so is not done Mm. any progress that we have they can take it away i mean in new south wales we're having a debate about abortion and Mm. people are threatening to withdraw support of the premier who is conservative because she's not conservative enough on abortion. Yeah. So we are importing all that bullshit from the States. And so we really need to be vigilant to be like, no, these are our Australian values and this is the country that we want to be. And if we see it shifting towards 
a more conservative place that we don't want it to be. We need to really stand up and fight and not just be content with marriage that we have mm. because who knows how long we will have it. Beautiful. Will, I can see you're holding a copy of uh, your new book. I take it everywhere. It's my baby. No. <laughs> launching your first uh, young adult fantasy series this mm-hmm. month, which is called Monuments. Yeah. And uh, it's a gorgeous cover there. And it features a gay teen romance, yeah. but it's not the essential focus of the storyline, is it? No. So do you think that's this method of casually writing diversity into everyday stories can be more effective than sort of leading with big queer characters but it's still like it's like it is, submersive it is a super, no it is a super gay book yeah, like, right. it is, like the first three chapters it's like could he like there's a line that's yeah. like oh there's a, a really subtle line like oh I have the same taste in boys as girls and it's like and that's the way he announces it but the whole thing was I came out before the release of my last book which yeah. was The Sidekicks and that suddenly brandished me as inappropriate because mm-hmm. I was a gay man writing about gay things we're much more comfortable with usually cis white women who are heterosexual writing gay characters. Mm -hmm. And while there's, I'm not strictly own voices, which is that you have to be of a particular sort of identity to write that. Yeah. Sometimes you get this sort of vibe where it's like, I've written this really cute boy who could be my son and this other cute boy who is also a bit mysterious who could also be my son, (laughs) but now I'm going to get them to kiss. And (laughs) I know I'm dragging it, but it's also really fun to read and I love having those stories because they're really sweet and innocent, but we are more accepting of stories written by heterosexuals that feature gay characters. And Mm -hmm. I enjoyed that as someone who they assumed was heterosexual. That ended up becoming a whole thing. Schools disinvited me and said I was no longer appropriate. And then I slowly had to claw my way back into school visits because I had about six months of bookings cancelled. I lost my income stream and I had to sort of rebuild my life from scratch and rebuild my confidence because I'm like, oh, wait, is this going to be misinterpreted as sex ed? Because there were parts of my identity they loved me talking about, like Greek stuff. But anything to do with... I might kiss boys and they're like, oh no, that's not the kind of identity we want Mm. you to talk about. So there was that push and pull and they sort of made me political. I came out on my website and didn't even mention the word gay. That's how it was just, I was just talking about how when you're in the closet, you have lots of close friends and you never have a boyfriend and you always diminish their value in your life. So when it came to writing monuments, my first draft was not queer at all. It was just like fun adventure book with sort of, and at the end it was like, oh, they could be gay. Wait for the sequel. And I was just doing that horrible queer baiting shit that you get on a lot of usually American media. I'm lucky enough to have a really supportive publisher that was like, no, no, make it gayer, make it early, make it the book you wanted it to be. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I wrote it like it was fan fiction. I wrote it like, okay, the boys are going to kiss and they're going to kiss early and there's going to be banter (laughs) and it's going to be awesome. That brought me so much joy. That's the thing. Whenever you're writing contemporary novels that are issues-based, which is what I usually write, and they're so steeped in identity, usually the issue that the character is confronting is their identity. Yeah. So with my novel, The First Third, it was like, oh, how do I deal with being Australian but Greek? And the character in that who was gay was struggling with that. And then with my novel, The Sidekicks, where a character was coming out, he was struggling to come out as I was struggling to come out. Again, the issue was his identity. The more issues books I was writing, I realized I was framing identity as a negative and I was going to keep writing my gay identity as a negative where it was like, stuff this, no, I want to write about the gay Greek Australian and let him have the adventures that the other straight people get to have. Who's living. Yeah, that's it. Like, Mm. let him just launch into an adventure and have it be no dramas. And I've come out and said, look, yeah, this is a relationship that will unfold over two books. They're not going to break up and they're not going to die. Yeah. You know, we should be able to have the fun adventure stories that all the straight boys get to read. Mm. Totally. There's this, this is really nerdy, but there's a like point and click adventure game Mm. called The Longest Journey. 
So Shit, it's that one, is really nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like a fantasy. You just like solve puzzles and you mm-hmm. put things together or whatever. But I really loved it because I played that as a teenager and it was about halfway through the game. One of the main characters just introduces her wife. And it's not a like plot point. It's never a discussion. It's not an issue that needs to be resolved within their friendship group. It's just part of the everyday life of these characters. And I think seeing that like in my teen years, I started to yearn for that in other stories and being like, no, oh, okay, there's a gay character in this, but they're troubled. (laughs) And oh, there's a gay character in this, but yep, they hate themselves. Yeah, it's really refreshing when the gay characters just get to do the shit that the yeah. other characters are doing. <laughs> and Becky, you're the creator of a parody Twitter account, mm. a, a dream I could only hope to achieve oh <laughs> one day, um, called at no to feminism with the tagline, lol, feminism, no thanks. Um, Genius. I don't know which one of us you were <laughs> quoting when you, you did that. It's in quotation marks. <laughs> yeah. to you. That actually got developed, this is amazing, into an illustrated book um, last mm. year. For our listeners who haven't heard, can you tell us a bit about No to Feminism? This sounds yes. out of context. <laughs> very, very bad. Well, I hate and women. That's what we <laughs> um, Yeah, essentially it just, I was sort of like writing a lot about, doing a lot of like opinion pieces and reacting to issues that came up. Yeah. And turns out there's so many things that come up that are, terrible to women and I'd sort of gotten to the point where I'd been writing there's just so many times you can like write an article about something horrible that's happened I think it was we'd like hit a peak point where it just started to like wear everyone down and because you have so much information coming in and we're so connected to every story I was just finding it exhausting it was around the time as well when the women against feminism movement Mm -hmm. had started there was like the Facebook groups and they would hold up little signs saying I'm against feminism because some stupid reason I'm dumb. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, it was just a direct response to that, really. And I just Googled the word woman and found a photo, <laughs> <laughs> which is a different reason I usually Google that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just started being really silly and like putting jokes out, and it really hit a nerve for some reason. I think it was just that thing people were like, I need to have a break and some levity from how depressing social media yeah with all this shit yeah exactly and yeah it just got quite popular and then um they asked me if i wanted to turn it into an illustrated book and i am not talented at all so a person named fury in melbourne did the illustrations so i literally just picked like a hundred tweets and they did all the work amazing it was a really good situation for me to (laughs) be honest great way to write a book you've already done it i'm an author um it's made up of tweets (laughs) what tweet what do you think is a tweet that blew up the most? I love when people talk about all oh, my tweets blowing up. <laughs> oh god, I can't even. I don't know. One I one of my favorites that I that's an obnoxious sentence, but um, <laughs> is I don't need feminism. My husband's not a monster because he doesn't believe in feminism. He's a monster because his dad is a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> It's just that that's an example of how brilliant it is. Yeah. <laughs> and people come to identifying as a feminist in many different ways. As gay men, it can sometimes be a secondary consideration uh, when we've got all our own minority shit going on. What was your journey to feminism like? <laughs> what was your journey to feminism like? Um, 
Well, I was thinking about this the other day and I think a lot of it had to do with, I grew up in the country in Toowoomba mm -hmm. um, and I had three brothers and like all men in my family and it was very like macho bogan kind of thing. I like got to an age where I realized that I was being treated differently to them by like society at large and then I heard the song I'm just a girl by no doubt oh, wow. and uh, iconic. <laughs> I, yeah. I would like go into my room whenever I felt unjustly treated and like blare no doubts I'm just a girl in the hopes that my dad would hear it and realize I was making a statement and he oh, never did bless. but it was also that in conjunction with my family actually naturally is like a quite feminist household mm. and that it's nothing like my dad would ever think about or talk about or label himself but just via being very working class and like having to cope and change schedules and stuff like mm -hmm. he would he was always the chef and like the grocery shopper and all that sort of stuff so it was sort of this weird combination of unjust treatment and like good examples and then also I think like seeking out strong female voices as a closeted yeah. lesbian as well and then seeking out like musicians or people who are making statements and writers and stuff that I was getting those messages through and sort of yearning to like be around women and listen to women in like a gay way. But also mm. I think that sort of led me down the path as well. It was like a gateway drug to a feminism. Gay yes. <laughs> being gay. <laughs> so well, why do you hate women so much? Yeah, <laughs> yeah Will. <sighs> Where do I start? No, look, I was raised by women so after my parents separated my dad was like you know I was such a good dad the first time I'm just gonna run off and start a new family oh. um so I was raised by my mom and my grandmother so yeah I am a feminist feminism on twitter is like a very dangerous territory mm. for a lot of people I don't know if you like see some of the shit that people yeah. say on there well when you give people almost complete anonymity mm -hmm. and a platform that is so instantaneous as well, like thoughtless for so many people. There's some um, really bile stuff out there. So Yeah, well, a lot of people don't like you saying anything, but then you have like Yasmin's a great example of mm. is a woman, is not white, and had the worst stuff I've ever seen mm. said to anyone. Mm. It's something you have to take into consideration. Like I used to get it mildly when I'm doing more feminism-oriented stuff, but anyone who puts himself out there is going to get it in... Varying degrees. Anyway, log on. <laughs> yeah, check out Beck's Twitter. <laughs> Most of the female authors I know get hate mail. Mm. It's crazy, like, isn't it? They write for teenagers in Australia, but they get hate mail from grown men. Really? And it's really God, funny because so I have gotten... I got one piece so. of hate mail when I came out and I was like inundated with about 3,000 emails. One of them was like, oh no, you're diseased and you're gay, but there was lots of really poor grammar, so I won. But, you know, I've never had hate mail sent to me whereas every single female author that i know will just sort of sigh resigned and say i got this email today and it's always vulgar mm. terrible stuff i got the best piece i ever got was um <laughs> it's very weird but it was a facebook comment and a guy said because i'd written something mentioning pauline hansen and he said you're not worth the skid marks in Pauline's underwear. Not that she has any, <laughs> but if she did, you're worse than that. And I was like, why are you dragging Pauline if you love her so much? It's so meta. I know. It's, it's so like bizarre. they didn't realize halfway through yeah, they yeah. were dragging. And they're like, even, better polish that. Comment. Even Pauline's skid marks are white. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very handy. You can't see them. I think the worst like troll comment we ever got, and I still think about it, like it plagues me. Is someone reviewed us? I think it was on iTunes. And they said, like, great show. I love it. There is one annoying thing, though, 
and then they hit submit. Oh <laughs> my god! But the head of the title of the review was also "Great Show," but dot dot dot. <laughs> and I, um, it haunts me every right couple back of in, days. listener. We must know <laughs> whoever it was finished that comment. Yes. Or yeah. Maybe that this is, is exactly that what they want. Poetic. I see. It's really Kyle sitting genius. at home, just like giggling to himself, <laughs> knowing how much it's shitting you to get me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, the good news is Beck and Will will be joining us for the entire show. Yeah. And people said they really liked that on Facebook the other day. So thank you for sharing um, yeah, thanks so much. with us. And we'll get stuck into some topical... Juicy topics. <laughs> yeah. Yum. I feel like I'm going to get dragged on Twitter a bit for this <laughs> because I'm by no means a science aficionado. Well, then why the fuck are you here? <laughs> Do you mean that a scientist? A scientist. <laughs> okay. a scientist. A science aficionado. I did better than science person, which was my <laughs> first question. So, Gender neutral. Not, not the writers quite. are here and you're trying to impress us. Isn't it? You just you went through word of a day and we're just like, give me something. Look, I, I didn't say this in the interview, but I'm very intimidated by people who are intelligent, especially ones that can write. And my mother didn't raise me right. So that comes <laughs> out in some very weird ways but back to science something that has been kind of the age-old question at least mm. for me something I've thought about ever since I realized I was gay is that science scientists sorry <laughs> um, scientists have debunked the idea of a single gay gene they did a one of the largest study well did the largest study sorry to date half a million people so it was the widest sort of selection of people from different areas and to be honest the conclusions they came to were sort of what I understood about how genetics and people worked mm -hmm. anyway that there are some genetic implications towards becoming homosexual later in life but it's a mixture they ultimately there was about five genes that could contribute but you mix that in with environmental things the nature versus nurture sort of argument and whether and they watch lift off when they were a kid <laughs> yeah and whether you come into contact with me at any yeah point. <laughs> that's why i'm a lesbian and, uh, yeah <laughs> and and it took some sort of combination of all of those things it's a little bit of column a it's a little bit of column b and it's a little bit of we're not really sure mm. but i think the implications that this study has for us is the real sort of meat and potatoes of the conversation. Because when I was younger, I thought about this a lot because I thought, great, I didn't choose to be gay. This is It just happens. It just yeah. happens. So it's, it's clearly like a black hair, yeah. genetic thing. As soon as they figure that out, people can't discriminate against me anymore. Like, mm. they just haven't mm. figured it out yet. And it made so much sense to me. Pick but I think that, that it, not being uh, a gene doesn't mean that it's something that you could control still. Like, the fact that it's influenced by nurture as well as nature yeah. still doesn't mean that it's no, something that we I, choose to do. I think when I was younger, I just wanted... And I think as people yeah. in general... You wanted it to be cold, hard We want facts, something yeah. so definitive. It's this one specific mm. thing in every single homosexual person in the world. And that's the thing. Mm. We can't do anything about it. I'm kind of glad that we don't have that mm. Though, because I think that would lead to some pretty scary genetic stuff. kind of. Yeah. yeah, you know, people are having pregnancies terminated for various reasons in different parts of the world, depending on what's legal and what's not. And I would hate to see a world where you can sort of genetically change the makeup of a baby so it doesn't turn out to be gay. I think it's kind of a lose-lose. Mm. The way I see it is this gay gene getting debunked can be interpreted, interpre <laughs> interpreted by say, the more conservative homophobic side yeah. of 
the world, reaffirming to them that it is a choice, giving them some some answers that can be interpreted how they wish it to be, which is, oh, no, you don't have that definitive one thing. And you have to be black and white with some of these people because mm. no other arguments work. Yeah. And then the lose-lose on the other side is if they did find it, then, yeah, we do have these ethical questions about Gattacaring mm. our gay future. I've never seen Gattaca, by the way. <laughs> I don't know if I'm using that reference correctly. But it just shows you, like, I don't really care. Like, we're doing mm. sort of a nurture versus nature sort of yeah. home experiment at home where, you know, the three boys raised by my mum are all mm. gay and dad has run off, started his new family, two new sons. I don't know anything about them. Mm. So if they're gay, it's it's magic oh, sperm. Right. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. not, then maybe it's absent father. Maybe yeah. it's a whole load of other stuff, mum's uterus, whatever. But it's really funny how much some people want to know a reason. Like, because this news story came out about the same time as that sort of study that we don't really know much about, about cesareans that may oh, yeah. cause autism possibly or cause different allergic reactions. And I remember I was telling my mum this just casually as we were walking. I'm like, oh, did you hear about that study that maybe C-sections can cause? And without me sort of getting to the word, she's like, gayness. She wanted to know, and it was just straight. Like, it was like, that was that yeah. it? Was that what made you didn't my pass My mum had a cesarean. Yeah. I was like, oh. Ooh. Maybe I am a science person. <laughs> yeah, no, maybe. <laughs> but that's it. But it was like, I could just sort of like, no, mum, this has nothing to do with being gay. <laughs> but you can share that's the first thing I don't mind. She wants to know a reason Absolutely. why. And it's just like, but it's happened. Like, this is what you have. Like, I think it's also like who is being served by finding out this information. Yeah. Like, if it's going to be secretly held and only queer people can look at it and yeah. like be like, oh, that's interesting. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I'm skeptical that it's a good thing queer yeah. people would make it like a zine it would be like a black <laughs> and white zine that like some mates made <laughs> yeah and i would love to frame it more as in like good choose to be gay <laughs> like yeah. if you have the choice <laughs> like i just think it's we often get into is it a gene thing is it nature is it nurture yeah but at the end of the day it's about the result for mm. me and mm. it should be fine regardless yeah. of if you were I don't know. Yeah. Exactly. Do you but. think... I I feel like my interest in this topic comes from the fact that I'm pushing up against heteronormative mm. society on a weekly basis. And I, I think that's why I'm really interested in it mm -hmm. because I, I'm just constantly looking for things to fight back with. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like if I didn't have that daily battle... I guess I would feel like a straight person where you're like, I don't really think about how I got here because mm -hmm. no one's threatening my rights or my, mm. my reason for being here. But I think ever since I realized I was gay and started struggling with that, I was trying to build up an inventory of like, how can I validate myself to the outside world? Because yeah. they're not going to take me as I am. Like yeah. I need to prove it to these people. And of course, I think we're like more curious about it because I was like 11 when I started thinking about my sexuality and mm. wishing I wasn't this way. And so mm. we've had such a long time of obsessing over it yeah. that I think it's it's natural for us to be like, what the fuck went on there? Mm. Why did this happen? And depending on where you are in your life, it's like, why did this happen? But now I'm like, I'm so glad that happened. So glad that happened. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that would be cool to find yeah. out. So just to go back to what you are saying, Will, about... Mm -hmm. So you're one of three brothers yep. and all mm -hmm. three of you yep. identify as gay. Mm -hmm. Do you know what the statistics are like of that happening? Sounds pretty rare. Does the yeah. science aficionado... Does the science aficionado... Kyle was um, one of three gay brothers, two, isn't it? Two oh, gay two. brothers, yeah. yeah. 
off. <laughs> or I can give Are you, you close? Look, look, no. We've got this weird sort of competitive. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to like. I don't want to speak out of turn, but I don't know if it was sort of dad's absence that meant we never sort of relaxed as kids and we were sort of over competitive with each right. other. So that has sort of extended into. I think my older brother found this one unique thing about himself, and mm. then it's like surprise, <laughs> stole it. Um, so, so he'd already come out. When yeah, you he'd came already out. come yeah. out. It was interesting. Like, let's, I'll give you one embarrassing story because okay, this, yeah, this is what you come for. Okay, so I met this guy and I'm like, oh, this is good. We went out to lunch and I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm like, but we're not going to do the gay thing and have sex straight away. And I'm like, great, this is good. Oh, that's this is the good. gay thing. So, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I just before the lunch. So, <laughs> oh, we know. Lucky if we get uh, to lunch. <laughs> um, so, and I sat there and, I, and we were really good. We were really well behaved. We did that, you know, when you're really excited about someone, you have like three or four dates in a week and it's just too much. But no, we did I that. No, you that. don't. <laughs> you know, how many dates do you usually get to before they start ghosting you? <laughs> like half. half. Oh, yeah, nuts. And so by the, by the fourth one, he was like, all right, cool. You know what? I'm going to swing by your house on Saturday. We'll go have lunch Ooh. and then we'll bomb. And I'm like, yay. And so he drives up to my house and, you know, I get in. He's like, oh, I know this place. Your brother's oh, Hank. No. And I'm like, oh. And he's like, yeah, I fucked him. And oh, by no. this point, the car had started moving. And I'm like, oh, please let me out of the car. And he's like, oh, no, you're so immature. Like, we can still. And I'm like, no, no, I don't no, want to. And yeah, the whole lunch was him, like, needling that. And I'm like, look. No, Chinese war, like, yeah. sorry. Yeah. I think it was, I'm really interested to know some of the social sort of environmental mm. impactors. I don't know why I Impacts. keep looking to you guys to... <laughs> I don't know why you keep, we adding, are extra We're very lab you keep adding extra syllables to words. <laughs> yeah. um, the, the brother, that brother thing, though, fascinates me, though, because there has also been studies where for each older brother a man has, you're oh, yeah, twice wow. more likely to yeah. be... To identify as gay No the worst is When you get the gays Who want to try to get The whole set And it's what just like American? Well it's like Hey I know your brother And oh, now I've come for And it's yuck. like Oh no Look you've had the rest You don't get the best yeah, Like yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> I've got like the complete opposite In that my family is so big And I Growing up Is like The only queer one And still am I think I have one gay cousin But I've got like 50 cousins mm. And Three brothers Like huge family And Nothing No one Except oh. me yeah, so, so that that's more interesting to me mm. because you see often these stories and, and like the most common things that people throw out there is things like lack of a father mm. figure or like, especially for gay men, you didn't have a strong masculine figure mm. in your life. And they seem so kind of cut basic. and dry yeah. and basic. And then I'd always think back to my childhood and be like, I spent all my time with male figures. Mm. It was like mm. my dad betting on the pokies my weird uncle in the basement playing bit no <laughs> that that actually does make a bit more sense but i like yeah. my childhood was surrounded by male figures yeah. so i was like mm. it can't be yeah. that basic of a answer to no beck do you wish you had gay siblings um yes <laughs> yeah. but that's like for me i wish i'm mean, oh, sorry no, i'll go. let you answer the question i'm just like oh well I, I just wanted you to start talking so i could talk over well, you I, because i as a white gay <laughs> this is my space no um i think like obviously there's probably ups and downs but mm. i just would have loved anyone to be like this is normal and this is what being gay is because yeah. i had never met a gay person yeah. i didn't meet a gay person until i was like 17 16 so that would have been nice just to have someone to relate to, but yeah. The but three is too many. Yeah, the, the dream from Elliot. <laughs> Mum says the same. Gra my grandmother, also the same. But 
for me, it's like, it's really fascinating because you have that sort of competitive brother dynamic and then you also have the closet where you're hiding it from each other. Mm. And that's sort of that aggr- the aggression that comes from sort of hiding it. And like oh. the dream is like to live in a world where we don't have that closet bullshit, mm-hmm. like mm. that, that sort of utopia, because I was robbed of that sort of we still all had to figure it out on our own. Mm. Like, I remember what confirmed yeah. that my younger brother was gay. Hi, if you're listening, was that I was on Grinder late at night and he had a profile up and I'm like, oh, that's my bathroom. And then down the bottom, it said, um, new to this just for fun. And I was like, oh no, they're going to break you. And I was yeah. like, and I felt, and I wanted to just sort of, and I remember texting him going, cause I hadn't come out to him and I remember texting him. It was like midnight and I'm like, Hey, are you up? And I was like, I was going to just go into his room and just have a heart to heart to him and just, you should just message him. I was going to yeah, say, you up? Oh, you're the one. No, because it was like, I don't know about you, but like you learn most of the sex ed stuff and like yeah. go to the clinic and all that. You learn that from your first partner who's usually older and there's that weird dynamic where they know more about this than you do. And yeah. it's just like, I was robbed of that experience where we could have all just been open and supportive of each other. And once you sort of miss that opportunity, mm. now we've sort of set that dynamic in stone. Mm. And so, it's such a shame because yeah. like, I think a lot of heterosexual people learn from their older siblings mm, exactly. about sex and that sort of stuff. And how great would it have been for you guys yeah. to be able to have that open conversation conversation yeah. as you were discovering all these thoughts yeah. i remember once i went out in toowoomba on my 18th birthday and my eldest brother came out as well he was really drunk and that overprotective thing again he was like shielding men from me and i'm like you don't have to worry about it <laughs> like, it's fine yeah. i was like this is not gonna be a problem that's like dad's rule about not having girls sleeping over and i was like yeah that's that's fine i'm just <laughs> fucking my best friend anyway yeah. so my parents used to get so thrilled when a girl stayed around yeah they would be like yes yes <laughs> and i remember being a teenager, somehow this has turned into like sibling yeah. <laughs> topic. But my sister had started dating someone and they were like three, four years older than me. And they took me for a drive to Bunnings. I think they <laughs> were going to get a sausage. And it was just casually in the car. This is her new boyfriend trying to be cool. Turned around and was like, hey, look, have you got a girlfriend or a boyfriend? And like pose it in such a uh, casual, like, yeah. I'm totally cool with this. And I know what's going on with like the cool hip kids mm-hmm. sort of thing. And so with my siblings, there was always this kind of like, we know, but we don't know mm-hmm. and we'll be a little bit supportive. But yeah, it, having a gay sibling would have been I think, a lot more useful. Yeah. So we had a suggested topic, which um, I'm kind of glad we did because I've actually recently experienced this. So as I was saying, <laughs> I was the last person standing at the Melbourne Drag Awards last night, seven o'clock this morning. I was in full drag at Crown Casino, went home with a nice gentleman. But because we'd been out all day, there was just no way we were going to have proper full on banging sex, you know? Yeah. And uh, so we just decided to put on some porn and jerk off together. I'm sharing a lot. I don't need to very well, but, you know, welcome. And the the suggestion we had was uh, sex effort. And when is sex too much effort? And is it okay to be in a relationship or just to be having lazy sex? Yeah, it's interesting because gay men and our sex lives and our perceived sexuality Mm. is, is so intertwined, I think, a lot of the times. And especially in social circumstances that I've been in, you're sort of value as a gay man can be tied into how sexually active you are. Mm. And that's reinforced by the porn we watch, the apps that we have and the conversations that we're having. But the reality I've always found is quite different from anything I've seen in porn. And I think straight people have to deal with this as well as disconnecting the fantasy of hot, wild sex 24-7 with perfect lighting to the fact that sometimes it's just a lot of work yeah 
you know, and sometimes our bits don't work the way we expect them to, or sometimes we don't feel like the things that we think we feel like. Yeah. Personally speaking, I have a very high sex drive. Mm. It's kind of annoyingly high. More so for other people than you. Yeah, but <laughs> I've been told... The people that have to have sex with you. Multiple yeah. times my sex drive is an issue in relationships, so I can empathize with this topic, but I haven't experienced it, yeah, right. unfortunately. See, I mean, I, I love wild, passionate hours and hours of sex, but also I think there's something quite nice about getting to a point with somebody where you can be doing a Seinfeld marathon on the couch and start getting a bit frisky, pause it for a quick 10-minute fuck on the couch and then keep going. Totally. My thing is, like, if you need to take a pause, that's fine because I'll be good to go again in 10 minutes. It's like that weird thing where, and we were talking about this in my first session at Melbourne Writers Festival, where it's we've got that idea Mm. and it's kind of heteronormative where it's like you need to have sex with your partner a certain amount of times a Mm. week or else you don't love each other. Sitcoms teach you mm, that. And it's just ridiculous because Mm. you could have had a busy week at work or, you know, it could be that every night, by the time you come home, you just want to go to sleep. Yeah. And there are all those things where there is so much more to a relationship than how many times and for how long you have put whatever wherever. Mm. Mm. And we can't just value the way that we react and relate to people just by the sexual acts Absolutely. that we partake in. Yeah. So I remember you saying that the other night. It was a really good point. And it's like, if people are satisfied and... These expectations are what caused the issues sometimes where I think if people chilled out and they had sex when they wanted to have sex and there was no external pressure for it to be a certain amount, then Mm. people would be much more satisfied. But for me, it's like if there is a disconnect often couples aren't on the same page like with sex drive and mm. you know a lot of queer people are on anti-anxiety medication yeah. that kills sex drives as well mm. sometimes that for me it's it's about communicating still and being intimate in certain ways it doesn't mm. necessarily like this i guess you would call it lazy sex but it's just like finding ways to be with each other and to find satisfaction and intimacy without having to like exert like so much effort. There's something so magical about Mm. not having to act out like the ridiculous things you've seen in porn and Mm. being like, Oh now I've got to change position. It's been three minutes. And it's like all that sort of ridiculousness that is like, no, I'd much rather chill sex that I've enjoyed for 10 minutes that we've laughed at something awkward during. And it's like, and that means a lot more to me than, Oh, we went for two hours and now everything's chafing. Like that seems to me to be the more fun thing. Some some guys hate laughing during sex. I know this is like a side (laughs) note, but to me, it's one of the funniest thing. Mm. You're you're two people trying to stripping off and slapping your bodies against each other. Yeah, I I was sleeping with someone recently and. Her Apple Music wasn't working, so she was using Spotify, but she hadn't paid for it. And so, <laughs> so, like, at one point, this ad came on that was like, open up your lunchbox. Oh. <laughs> <And she> was, <laughs> and I was the funniest thing that's oh. ever happened. Hello, if you're listening. Um, it's supposed to be fun. Yeah. That's yeah. the whole fucking point. And, and this sort of goes back to, you raise interesting points about what's expected from us and what we grow up thinking with this heteronormative sort of mm. sitcom idea of like, oh, men love sex and women have it and that sort of mm. stuff and, and it's always the husband that's wanting to be doing the sex and the wife yeah. only does it if she can mm. get out of doing the housework and with sex as well like I, I read this really interesting study that was talking about how different groups of people classify having sex mm-hmm. and so for heterosexual couples it's often 
then like a penis in a vagina and then this the sex session is done when the dude comes when someone comes yeah, yeah. not the woman obviously but no. <laughs> but that's like that's a very set like whereas with like queer women and queer people it's like i don't know we did stuff for three hours and just like there was no like definitive this is when it starts and this and is this when it ends, ends. Yeah. it's just like mm. you can't classify it as easily and i think that lends itself more easily to like we don't have sex four times a week. It's like we hung out for a few hours and did stuff. Yeah, whatever. watch a three-hour David Lynch film. It's yeah. like the most intimate. <laughs> <laughs> it's like also, my relationship with sex, like when I moved in with my partner, it was when we lived apart. And it was like, okay, we've got these two days together. Mm. We're going to make sure that we fill that time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now that we live together, it's like, oh, okay. You're going to be there tomorrow. Yeah. I can go to sleep and this is fine. But you have to have that conversation to make sure that the other's needs are being met. And Totally. So long as you just talk to each other, there are all these sort of ideas that we bring into a relationship, whether that relationship lasts one encounter or whether it's a sustained thing. And the more we sort of address the fact that most of those ideas that we bring to it are total bullshit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you just relate to that person in the best way that you can relate to that person. Everything just ends up so much better. Yeah. Some words of Empathy and communication. That's Mm. what it's all about. It is interesting though, talking about long-term relationships Mm -hmm. and like living with a partner because I think that does change the sex that you have and like the way that you have sex. Oh my God, if he hasn't vacuumed, I'm like, you are getting nothing. (laughs) Well, for me, it's like predominantly being a bottom Living with someone and having the expectation to have anal sex and bottom, and that you're like going to be 24 hours, ready five to... days, six days a week. Yeah. That's a lot of fucking work. Yeah, that's like a part time job keeping yeah. my colon clear <laughs> six days a fucking week, it's like chugging psyllium husk. <laughs> yeah, just for like the off keeping my colon clear. Six <laughs> yeah. days a week. Put it on my toe. It sounds so. like a Beatles song. <laughs> there was that tweet the other day. It was like being queer is my full time job, and my job is my part time job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's it's so much work. So I like you do think up these kind of lazy sex kind of mm. positions mm. or like little routines that you have. I did at least to avoid douching every single day because mm-hmm. I think even Doctor George said you should be said that yeah. that's like we have a GP sometimes mm-hmm. and he's like that's not good mm-hmm. to do to your body. But maintaining that. Just level. on a side note, I, I think that if you're if you're living with somebody and you're having sex that often, you don't need to be douching. Like, if there's a little bit of shit, no one's so, going to get too upset. They're going to move out. Look, Sorry, I, it's not really essential yeah, to this conversation. I, know. But. I, I date some very <clears throat> specific people with some, like, very... I, I tend to go for the really, like, high anxiety, high... Would you say like, they're anal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For some reason, that word wasn't coming to my mind. Discussionado, are you? <laughs> but, yeah, I, uh, you would think up these other ways to have sex with your partner that maybe required less effort than the full shebang so things like jacking off together Mm. that's like a really good go to and i think that's like there's so many things you can do that especially i think with like the non-matching sex drives i don't know you can be involved but not have to Mm. feel like sexually aroused enough to actually have stuff done to you like Mm. you can it's just about being close and being intimate and like finding ways to make everyone happy. You want to be your partner's cheerleader. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's a really nice way of thinking of it. I know. Mm. See, that's why none of my relationships work. Yeah, that's why we're single. Uh, I'm <laughs> also single. To... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to do that. I'm such a nice person. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> but hi, Toby. I love you. <laughs> I, I think we've touched on this before about our fixation with coming mm. and that being also a defining factor as 
to whether you've had sex or not. Yeah. You know, I've, I've dated people in the past that have been like, uh, sorry, we didn't get to have sex this week. And I'd be like, what we did, you put mm-hmm. it inside of me. Mm. And they'd say, no, I didn't come though. Mm-hmm. So like it didn't count for them. Mm. So there's all this kind of expectations and connotations around coming and sex. Interestingly, you, you, for a lot of people that are into um, like edging, for example, is a good, oh, a, a great that. example of not necessarily penetrative, 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 Penetrate, penetrate, not. Penis you know what I'm in. saying. Take a breath. Take a breath. Thank you. You know, you can, you can, and and then the, the point of that is to not be coming is to be stretching that out and uh, sort of having fun with the the tease of of nearly coming. That's crazy um, when you do that too. It's fun. That's like some crazy. Mm. crazy do you enjoy that time? I do. It's do you enjoy of my, being the person that's doing it or because of my before mentioned really high sex drive? Yeah. This is something that I struggle with. Edging is just mm-hmm. like. It's not the sport for me, right, yeah. but I love participating because <laughs> yeah. I like the challenge. And yeah, I, I mainly think about this, like my empathy for straight women, especially where I'm like, I think sex would be so much better generally if it decentralized from being so focused on dicks and mm. coming. And like if people cared more about the process and like the journey rather than people having an orgasm because especially for straight couples that does not benefit the woman usually Mm. so i think for them especially it would be like an ideal world if it was less about that but also in general like a lot of people have trouble having orgasms and Mm. especially and it can like cause a lot of anxiety and so i'm a lot now about like who cares if you're having fun with what we're doing Mm. then that's the important part mm. if you say you're enjoying it and yeah you're it on feels board good. and it feels good for you that's the party right there mm. i also can't fathom heterosexual people having sex do you ever no. imagine your friends or like couples that you know and how they no, would be because we're not perverted <laughs> but you know you do you I try not to <laughs> i do that all the time to be like oh i bet you like i can imagine these people having mm. sex but any of my heterosexual friends, I just can't fathom like <laughs> how that even, even though it's forced in my face from mainstream yeah. media all the time, I can't actually picture it. Funnily enough, I can't with Kyle either. No, but <laughs> like, I don't think Kyle that's, can either. They only either. fucking a hole in the sheet and it's yeah. just like, they can't yeah. look at each other during. And Turn the lights mean, off. And- <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the end of the episode. Thanks so much, Beck and Will, for coming on and joining us uh, for this special Melbourne Writers Festival. Classing up our little show. Yeah. <laughs> episode. Now, Will, your new book, Monuments, is just about to come out. Is that correct? It's out now. It's out now. Great. Great present for nieces and nephews and, 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 and you can, teen look, people. Teen people, but also adults, adults are the biggest consumers too. of YA literature. Really? Anyway. Well, look, young adult novels are about sort of people on the edge of the rest of their mm-hmm. lives. Speaking of edging. <laughs> oh, that's a pitch. Um, um, but they're on the edge of the rest of their lives. Is there much edging in your books? No. no. Okay, well. they're, they're figuring out who they are and look, yeah. I'm just turned 30 and I'm still sort of figuring out who I want to be. So that stuff is universal. Great. And it's fun. So Monuments is out now. If you find me on social, that's Will Kostakis, K-O-S-T-A-K-I-S. And uh, Beck, uh, we can follow you at Brockle Snitch yes, on Twitter. Yes, that's everywhere. And I guess watch Hard Quiz. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a 50 you'll probably be watching it already so enjoy heaven and uh, of course people can uh, listen to your podcast oh, bring yes. a plate as well mm-hmm. uh, pretty much anywhere where you listen to podcasts is that sure yeah. probably <laughs> the main ones uh, well you guys are going to hang around for our after show and today we are going to be talking about our first loves oh mm. how romantic this is another Fran uh, Fran 
fan fine <laughs> requested. Nice. This is another fan requested topic uh, too. Yes. So we're going to dive into our experiences with L-O-V-E. Um, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash gazerevoltingpod and for only six American dollars for some reason a month you get four little bonus episodes and you help us put on these uh, free episodes as well so thanks to everyone for doing that thanks so much guys I'll see you at the after show bye bye bye, bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.